America, people wake up worrying about their job and paying their bills, and that stinks. People in third world countries wake up worrying if their children will have anything to eat, and that stinks even worse. There's a way to help solve both of those problems. Get on the internet and go to usagoodness.com and find out how you can be a social entrepreneur. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby, and for years I have been helping people work from home. With usagoodness.com, you can earn extra money working from home by helping to feed starving children in poverty-stricken areas. How great is that? The only tools you'll need are a telephone, internet access, and a good work ethic. We'll teach you how to be a social entrepreneur and earn extra money while helping others. Go to usagoodness.com or call 800-301-6177. A Boston conservative in the cradle of liberty. You'll want to listen when Chuck Morse Information Radio Network. And yes, it is I, Chuck Morse, Monday through Friday here at the Information Radio Network, 10 till noon Eastern Standard Time here in Boston, 9 to 11 Central Time. You're welcome to join the program, 1-800-773-8255. 1-800-773-8255. And my guest this segment is an author, The Polarized Mind. Being Dr. Kirk Schneider. He's a leading spokesperson for contemporary existential humanist psychology. Dr. Schneider is the recent past editor of the Journal of Humanistic Psychology, vice president of the Existential Humanist Institute, and adjunct faculty at Saybrook University Teachers College, Columbia University, and the California Psychological Association. Uh, Kirk, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thanks very much, Chuck. And actually, I'm Kirk, not vice I, president of uh, California Psychological Association, but oh, okay. thank you. Okay, thanks yeah, for just a correction, for the correction. Right. Yeah, uh, I've read the book with great interest, and uh, I've got a lot to say about it. But firstly, before we go to that. Could you please describe for the audience what exactly you mean by the polarized mind? Sure. The polarized mind I define as the fixation on a single point of view to the utter exclusion of competing points of view. And it's it's basically a mentality, in my view, that has been repeated over and over again throughout history, dating back to the earliest uh, writings of recorded time. And you do a uh, you do a pretty fine job of uh, going through the history of civilization and uh, discussing you. elements within uh, within each of those uh, social experiments in which a polarization took place, and often one which would happen as a result of a reaction from trauma as yes. you point out, like a war or a famine or whatever, depression, some sort of a major societal dislocation causes yes. people to to focus very specifically on whatever you want to call it, I mean, an entity, and, and as a result, they, um, they lose what you call the mystery of life. 
That's right. Well, they they lose uh, an ability to uh, to be more flexible and to to realize that that life often is mysterious and uncertain, and uh, they become very very focused on certainty. You know, it's a, it's really a, a very huge defense that they erect. And this happens with societies as well as individuals, in my view, in my study. Right. And I think that with regard to the existence of mystery in a, I guess you might say, in the context of a balance with certain certainties, because there are there is, I think, a relative need for certain standards to exist in order for a society to function. Um, I think that the system that was put forth by first Judaism and then Christianity are probably the best uh, modalities for for doing that because I think they preserve the the mystery with regard to the the true nature of of the creator of the universe, of God, in that uh, that is and remains mysterious and, and a little bit and certainly out of touch. But yet at the same time, it presents a God as a lawgiver who sets forth certain standards with regard to how we as individuals and how nations and how societies are to not only behave, but how they are to relate to each other. Well, I, I think that's a, a very, uh, you know, fair and, and thoughtful point of view. Uh, my concern is when any of the great religions crosses over into a kind of oppressive dogma that does not allow people to continue to to develop their their moral and ethical point of view given circumstances of the current time. In other words, it seems to me that ethics and morality do need to be tuned in to the current context periodically. Uh, otherwise, they, they can be, uh, you know, quite regressive, you could right. say. For example, and, and by, stoning and, someone for adultery could be seen that way. And, and by the way, I don't mean to be appearing to be chauvinistic with regard to Western civilization, that being Judeo-Christian understanding, although I do think it's superior. <laughs> Nevertheless, I think you could say the same with regard to uh, Buddhism and certain other faiths which, which have presented a code of morals and ethics within a context that um, one can also um, experience the mystery of the universe as individuals and and as a people. Uh, yes, I agree. I agree. Regarding the uh, the fixed moral codes of the of Sinai, for example, uh, I think that it, it has proven to be a, a very high ethical code in that accompanying those moral precepts you have the development of what eventually would, would manifest itself as, as a government of separations where there would be a high level of, um, you know, you, you'd have to you'd leave in place the, the moral junction, but at the same time there'd be a high level of proof. And this actually goes back into the Torah with regard to the, the uh, teachings between Moses and, and Jethro, his father-in-law who set up a separate entity of, of counselors, of, of elders, 
who would then adjudicate specific situations, but yet at the same time leave in place the moral and ethical code so that the people would understand what was right and wrong, but they would also understand that um, there'd have to be a very high level of proof before a person could actually be prosecuted for any of these crimes. No, I think that's that's a very good point. Uh, again, I, I agree with you that there are a lot a lot of very thoughtful and and reasonable sorts of um, perspectives on deliberation and uh, you know ethical governance, if you will, uh, in the Bible as well as in other great religious texts. Uh, the I, I believe that the problem comes in when there are some contradictory passages in, in some of these texts, and uh, those can be unsettling. Uh, for example, you know, if God in in a certain section of the the Old Testament uh, becomes so incensed that he Deigns to you know wipe out an entire an entire group an entire people, uh, mm-hmm. or if you're going against his code during a, a ceremony, uh, he might have actually you know smote that group that uh, uh, failed to obey his his edict at that moment. Just some of these. Some of these elements seem, you know, on the extremist or on the fixated side and don't leave enough room for that kind of adjudication that you're talking about. Well, I think that it would, first of all, one of the great contributions, I think, of the uh, Sinaitic revelation was that it separated a code of morals and ethics from manipulation by people. In other words... Mm -hmm that the individual would would be able to look to some greater authority, not the government, not so-called intellectuals, not an elite of of smart people, uh, for authority. And that as such, the government would be existing on Earth as something that would essentially protect the right of the individual to understand those greater moral authorities. With regard to biblical situations where God smote people, that's not people smoting people. It might It's either God smoting people or it's God ordering people very specifically at a specific time to smote specific people. And if people think today that God is telling them to kill other people, then they, they should be put in a nuthouse. I mean, they, where did God come to them? Through the television? I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's crazy stuff. The point is that at that particular time, in that particular circumstance, 7,000 years ago, however many thousands of years ago that it happened, that's running under the assumption that one believes that the, the Bible has historical relevance, and I think it does as much as any ancient writing, hmm. um, that, that, that the people were ordered to do this by the Creator, not by other men, and that the, the reasons for those specific situations actually are mysterious. It's not, I, I don't think that from that one derives the idea, unless they're crazy, that man has a right to replace God and decide on earth who lives and who dies or who gets to, uh, you know, whether they should wipe entire people out. 
No, I, uh, of course, I, I think uh, you know what you say makes makes a great deal of sense, uh, but I am concerned with the historical, uh, I guess the, the, the historical context in which such a god arises. I think it's it's worth investigating what were the circumstances around which such a you know, such a god was acting in these seemingly mysterious ways. I mean, one case could be made that there was, at that time, a great deal of insecurity about the drift toward pagan religions uh, because of their oppressiveness. And there was a great deal of fear about that. And so there was a, a an image of God that... Uh, was very, very cautious and very concerned about people drifting from his, you know, commands. Well, you know, first of all, the the, the point being that it, it is a mystery that will never be fully understood. Well, I think that's true. If, <laughs> yes. If you're, if you're, yeah, I mean, if you're a believer, Ultimately. then you understand that there, yeah, that there's a supernatural element to it. If you're a believer and you believe there's a spiritual side of existence, Yes. And that uh, these were ancient collectivist times when people would not, the human identity had not yet been fully developed. So if you had something that became a prevalent idea in a society that was evil, it could infect the entire world. I mean, that's, that's again, my, my take on it. I, mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I could, could judge it. It's just uh, my reading of of the of the uh, of those times, those ancient yeah. times, of what the human mind was like, I don't think it was fully developed. There was a psychologist at Johns Hopkins University named Dr. Julian Jaynes, who oh, did yes. a very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he wrote the the bicameral mind. Yes, and That's I thought I thought that his it is, and, and he he pointed out that ancient man had not yet developed a bicameral mind simply because there wasn't enough information yet available. I mean, science hadn't reached a point where we had enough interaction, information, communication. And so as such, man was more collectivist. They were more susceptible to mass thought in a way. Institutions that we now take for granted, like private ownership and, uh, you know, uh, you know, ins you know, ed education, those things had not yet been invented, really. Right, right. And so... Anyway, but uh, we'll, we'll be right back. Uh, Kirk Schneider is my guest. The book is The Polarized Mind, Why It's Killing Us and What We Can Do About It. Look, kid, when guys like us walk into a facility in the morning, we can smell a problem. No one needs to hand us a work order. We already know it. Today, for instance, we need a new gearbox, six globe valves, and a dozen ballasts. And when I smell a problem, Granger smells that I smell a problem. They help me keep this place up and running. Now that's the kind of smell I like. The sweet smell of success. Get it? Got it? Good. Call, clickgranger.com, or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You probably knew that Thomas Edison gave us the first commercial light bulb. But did you know he invented alkaline batteries and an electric train? Edison said, if we all did the things we're capable of, we would astound ourselves. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. For almost two decades, I've been helping families build home businesses. Many have been astounded at what they've been able to achieve. 
Today, I want to introduce you to my newest and most exciting home business concept ever. It's MaxAchieve.com. If you'd like to earn $500 to $5,000 or more a month working from home, check out MaxAchieve.com. This is more than a home business. At MaxAchieve, we want to help you experience more success in all areas of your life. To find out how you could astound yourself, go to MaxAchieve.com. That's MaxAchieve.com. Or call 800-801-3465. Owning and caring for a home comes with a lot of to-dos. Tune up the furnace, clean the gutters, remodel the kitchen. Whatever your home improvement need, HomeAdvisor can help you find a pro you can trust to get the job done right. Go to rebuild.homeadvisor.com for instant access to top-rated pros in your area, including electricians, handymen, plumbers, whatever type of home pro you need. And HomeAdvisor is absolutely free to use. At HomeAdvisor, you don't have to search through a long list of pros. With just a few clicks, HomeAdvisor matches you with pros who provide the exact services you need. You can read customer reviews of the pros, even use the cost guide to find out what hundreds of other home projects cost in your area. And because HomeAdvisor knows it's important to find a pro you can trust in your home, they conduct background checks on their service professionals. It's just one of the reasons more than 25 million homeowners have used HomeAdvisor. Go to rebuild.homeadvisor.com to find the right pro for your project. That's rebuild.homeadvisor.com. Attention! If you'd like to improve your vision naturally, listen closely. Fact. Clinical studies show you can improve night vision, sharpen focus, and reduce eye strain using natural nutrients. Fact. You won't see the results you deserve with drugstore brands because these proven vision-boosting nutrients are missing in most eye supplements. Dr. Julian Whitaker has sold 4 million bottles of his Vision Essentials formula with the clinical levels of all 17 must-have nutrients for better night vision and better visual acuity with less eye strain and fatigue in as little as 30 days. Don't settle for cheap supplements, uninformed doctors who say there's nothing you can do, or vitamins that only cover some of the nutrients. It's a fact. You can enjoy improved night vision, sharpen your vision, and focus more easily with less eye strain and fatigue in as little as 30 days. Improve the health of your eyes today. Vision Essentials will change the way you see the world. To get your free bonus bottle of Vision Essentials, just call 800-658-1895. That's 800-658-1895. 800-658-1895. 800-658-1895. Does your well water leave brown rust stains on clothes and fixtures? Does it smell bad? Get rid of it all with the HydroCare Iron 300X. HydroCare's multi-stage process gets rid of iron, sulfide, and odors. HydroCare is an easily installed compact system without tanks, backwashing, or servicing, and only costs $799. You'll be amazed how fresh and clean well water can be. Satisfaction guaranteed. For more information, visit GoodTapWater.com. GoodTapWater.com. Chuck Morse Speaks. Thank you very much, and my guest is uh, Kirk Schneider, Ph.D. He's the author of The Polarized Mind, Why It's Killing Us and What We Can Do About It. And we're discussing uh, things uh, that, that I guess your book, Kirk, has made me think about what it is to have a polarized person, a polarized system. Um, I think that also we, we talked a little bit about, um, at least my contention, that the Judeo-Christian system is one that protects the mystery of the universe while at the same time providing a basic moral and ethical structure that uh, I think protects the person from uh, those who might try to manipulate such moral and ethical structures on Earth. Uh, 
as far as the secular world goes, I think the best example of a system that counteracts what is natural, to, it seems to me, which is polarization. I don't think it's something that can ever be eliminated. It's unfortunately maybe a, you, I would probably agree that it, it's a darker side of human nature. But the system that bets puts it into context is the American system, uh, our constitutional system, which mm -hmm. essentially separates powers. It, it uh, delegates specific uh, government powers and recognizes that government is necessary. It's a, as uh, Thomas Paine said, it's a necessary evil. But right. so therefore separates the various functions of government into various branches and then it takes those branches and it separates the, the federal government from the state governments and the state governments from the local governments with each of them having their own internal separations. And then, of course, there's the ultimate separation, which is that sovereign rights remain with the people. And the Articles 9 and 10 of the Bill of Rights express that. Um, and that that is a power that separates, that maintains a separation and a balance, a check and, check and a balance between government power and the people. Um, what say you? Well, I agree with all that. I mean, I, I think it's it's just an absolutely beautiful system when it works. <laughs> um, but, but this, of course, is the great challenge. Uh, it seems to me it's one of the, the greatest experiments in uh, ethical deliberation and, and moral governance that the world has seen. Uh, the problem is, like with most systems, uh, there are times where uh, fear, and I, I do believe fear is the basis for the polarized mind in, in many, many instances, unless there's some organic, you know, physiological reason, direct reason. Um, but there are instances where fear seems to uh, usurp uh, those wonderful checks and balances uh, within our system, and then then we have some some problems. Uh, so it's it's complicated, uh, but certainly in theory, uh, I very much agree with you, and I I do look at that in the book, uh, really appreciating uh, you know a the the ideal of of the the democratic perspective that our country has cultivated. Well, I think that the whole basis of the system is a recognition of the imperfectibility of man and that we're never going to be perfect on earth. It's always a process. It is often messy. I mean, that's why they did the separation of powers and that when you have situations where an individual or group of people become fearful and become polarized, they're not going to be able to exercise total power because there's a system in place that distributes and diffuses power. So you can't have, yeah. at least uh, in an ideal sense, right. a Hitler or a Stalin because right. you know who becomes a, a, a totalitarian figure. The system kind of protects itself, and again, as long as we continue to understand the nature of that system and preserve it, then such fearful people and fearful movements... Uh, they become diffused. I mean, they're able to express themselves in a free context, but that expression doesn't give them the actual teeth of political power to lord it, to, to kind of force. It also gives us reason to be optimistic that things are changing, and they're changing for the better. Right. Now, it's interesting because um, 
you told me you were raised pro-life. Um, yes. But you also were raised to be against homosexuality. So, so yes. I, I think, but I think it's important people to, to realize you didn't just, you're not just pro-life because you were raised pro-life though. I mean, you thought about this. You, 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 you went through, you told me that you, that you're a nurse and so you, you, you know the medical facts. So it wasn't just right. like, because some people might argue, they might say, well, you're just pro-life because that's how you were raised. And so you know, you're just parroting what you were told. Uh, but you, but this is something you really have thought deeply about. It is. And, you know, the, the medical knowledge, the scientific knowledge that I've gained being in school, being, you know, working as a nurse, it's only served to reinforce, you know, what I was taught. It didn't, you know, it didn't work against that. It, you know, I know that a genetically unique human being is created at the very moment of fertilization. Right. We'll be back uh, after the break. I'm Rachel Versa. We're talking about being gay and being pro-life. We'll be back after the break. A home comes with a lot of to-dos. Tune up the furnace, clean the gutters, remodel the kitchen. Whatever your home improvement need, HomeAdvisor can help you find a pro you can trust to get the job done right. Go to rebuild.homeadvisor.com for instant access to top-rated pros in your area, including electricians, handymen, plumbers, whatever type of home pro you need. And HomeAdvisor is absolutely free to use. At HomeAdvisor, you don't have to search through a long list of pros. With just a few clicks, HomeAdvisor matches you with pros who provide the exact services you need. You can read customer reviews of the pros, even use the cost guide to find out what hundreds of other home projects cost in your area. And because HomeAdvisor knows it's important to find a pro you can trust in your home, they conduct background checks on their service professionals. It's just one of the reasons more than 25 million homeowners have used HomeAdvisor. Go to rebuild.homeadvisor.com to find the right pro for your project. That's rebuild.homeadvisor.com. You probably knew that Thomas Edison gave us the first commercial light bulb. But did you know he invented alkaline batteries and an electric train? Edison said, if we all did the things we're capable of, we would astound ourselves. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. For almost two decades, I've been helping families build home businesses. Many have been astounded at what they've been able to achieve. Today, I want to introduce you to my newest and most exciting home business concept ever. It's MaxAchieve.com. If you'd like to earn $500 to $5,000 or more a month working from home, check out MaxAchieve.com. This is more than a home business. At MaxAchieve, we want to help you experience more success in all areas of your life. To find out how you could astound yourself, Go to MaxAchieve.com, that's MaxAchieve.com, or call 800-801-3465, Taking back America one listener at a time, Chuck Morse Chuck Speaks. Speaks. Good morning, this is Andre Traversa, otherwise known as Andre Controversa, spreading controversy. Wherever I go, I am Chuck Morris's producer. I am speaking this morning with Jackie Edelblut, Vice President, uh, Executive Vice President of Plago, Pro-Life Alliance of Gays and Lesbians. Jackie, you know, I, I was thinking as you were, uh, as, during the break, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I worry, well, am I going to have enough questions? Is this going to, you know, do you have enough time to cover an hour? But, but I, 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 I'm a talk show host. I have to think on my feet. Um, I, I was thinking, you know, 
wouldn't it be good if we had some kind of slogan like um not just for gays, but you know, how can we make the pro life movement more diverse? I'm sure I'm not the only person who has used this term diverse or diversity. But you know, have you seen anybody talk about this? You know, like a pro life diversity. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that would be even that would be a good brochure title. Yeah, um, we actually there have been there's been recently some of the non traditional pro life groups have started to to band together a little bit and have started. We've been trying to come up with ideas of ways to. Um, I guess, to market ourselves to the pro-life movement, to become more a part for some of these, the more traditional groups to see that we are an integral part of the pro-life movement. I would think that traditional pro-lifers would want to increase the numbers. I mean, to me, it's just a, ma- a simple matter of numbers. <laughs> you know, I mean, that would be uh, because I, I, I'm sure that a lot of them are tired of feeling like they're in the minority anyway. And so, you know, if we really are, if pro-lifers really are the majority of Americans, which Gallup seems to indicate that we are, if that's really true, then why not demonstrate that? Exactly. And one of the big, one of the biggest issues, I think, for people to think and realize is that the more diversity we have already in the pro-life movement, the more people we can reach. I, as a lesbian, am going to be able to reach people that a traditional pro-lifer may not. You know, the... You know, the teenage girl with, you know, 20 piercings and short skirt and spiky hair, she's going to be able to reach people and reach people that even I would never be able to talk to because they're not going to be interested. So we need oh, that diversity. We need all this. Stuff. I thought you were going to tell me that as a lesbian you could reach the teenager. <laughs> no, I don't think a teenager is going to listen to me, you know, whether, I, you know, as much as they're going to listen to somebody their own age. Yeah, I'm going to be able to reach people that, you know, maybe, you know, a man in his 40s or 50s can't reach. A teenager can reach somebody that I can't. The more diversity that we have, the more people we can reach. Well, I think the other thing that's also important is to to get away from this idea that being pro-life is a conservative issue. We're never going to get anywhere until both parties welcome pro-lifers and third parties and everybody, you know. And I think that, that um that it's really this is critical, and I, you know, and I, you know, I was going to ask you this yesterday, but um, I, have you ever heard of a, a lesbian feminist? Uh, and she's not really pro-life, but she recognizes that it's a, that, it's, that abortion is murder. I, have you ever read anything by a gal named Camille Talia? I haven't. No. Oh, okay, you might be interested in reading her stuff. She's a, uh, she's a, uh, she calls herself a feminist, although most feminists hate her. But she's very interesting, uh, and she is, mm-hmm. um, she's, she's a lesbian with a child, and. Um, she does not call herself pro-life, but she she admits that abortion is murder, and she's the fe- the fetal death rate is 100. percent But she's a very interesting person, and she kind of again one of these people who thinks outside the box, and is is a um, you know is an atheist but respects religion. I mean, you know, again, and, I, and that's what we need in this country. We need people. We need people. We need un- unlikely allies. You know, and, and I'm not just talking about in the pro-life movement. We got if you're going to get anything done, I mean, let's say let's take the issue of. Um, you know, uh, the National Security Agency spying on people. We need the ACLU to join forces with libertarians and conservatives. We need all this stuff because if this if this doesn't get, if this doesn't happen, you know, we're just gonna it's just we're just gonna continue to be divided along uh, partisan lines and ideological lines. And you know, again, I, I think what you're doing it, it makes all the sense in the world. And I think that you know, I, I just you hope know, that I can help you guys in any way because I think that. Uh, 
you know, again, uh, the unworn need for Hello, my name is Marius Forte, and together with my good friend Sam Sorbo, I would like to introduce you to a new book called The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. The Answer is like a master key to all your spiritual questions about the existence of God as well as to questions that humanity has asked throughout the ages. For example, is there a God, and if there is, is he good? And if he is good, how could he permit suffering in this world? Which sounds like a contradiction, but it is not. Where do we come from, and where are we going, and why are we going?